0: Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Sean Esbjorn hargens is a world-renowned authority on the application of integrative thinking to societal, leader development, and organizational design. In 2011, he founded Meta Integral, a social impact network that supports the global transformation of leadership in business, investing, and capital. He's the author of numerous articles, chapters, and books. Sean, thank you so much for being here today, and welcome to our podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Mariana. It's so great to be here. It's been way too long since we've caught up. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation to connect and to exchange ideas and also to, you know, hear a bit about what's happening in your world.
0: Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, it, now it's, uh, you go first. <laughs> so my first and most favorite question is... Um, how did you become such a unique and internationally recognized force for good? What happened in your life that put you uh, on this path?
1: Well, I think in many ways it really started in Africa when I was living there, um, working with UNICEF and a few NGOs. I was in my 20s, and I what came across was given a copy of Ken Wilber's Brief History of Everything, and... When I read that book, and I read it like in one sitting because it captivated me so much, I had what I call an intellectual Satori, which means I, it's my way of describing, I basically had this expanded moment of insight and awareness that, you know, really kind of took over my consciousness for several days. And it was in relationship to what I had just read. And the, the experience was basically by reading about this integral vision that ken wilbur describes in that book i saw an alignment between who i was in my life and, and what i wanted to do with the rest of my life which was basically engage with that integral vision in one way or another and so i think this was when my passion for what i call meta integration really kind of was catalyzed and and so it was kind of in that moment sitting in my mud hut in Africa where I made a deep commitment to use integral approaches to try and you know make a contribution in the world and so that was really where it started and then you know that was you know back in like 97 so for the last you know 20 some years I've I've dedicated my whole life to developing integral approaches to, you know, any number of fields, um, you know, including ecology and education, um, investment, um, you know, um, business research. Um, but I think it all goes back to that, that moment of reading Ken's book.
0: Wow. So what, what else, I mean, uh, if, if from, from what I, I know you a little bit, and I know that you're a deeply evolved human being, and uh, so I'd like to before going into the uh, the details of uh, of your actual work, I'd like to know more about your interior transformation because our as you know you and I are agree on the fact that the road to exterior transformation that we all need badly these days. Yeah. Uh, goes over interior transformation. So what happened specifically to you that, uh, how should I say, led you toward deepening your personal interior transformation? Was it pain or pleasure? How did you, what did you do on the, on the inside?
1: Yeah, I've always, I've always been a seeker. I've, um, I've been engaged with, you know, multiple traditions over the years. I've, you know, part of the integral vision is, you know, what they refer to as integral life practice. You know, this idea that you have multiple layers or dimensions of yourself, all of which need um, engagement, exercise, development. And, you know, so, you know, when I was in Africa and, and having, you know, just read that book, had a lot of capacity to, you know, meditate, do yoga, to read, to, to do inquiry, um, to exercise. And I think for me, you know, for the longest time, my path has been one of just really trying to exercise all these aspects of myself. And, and I absolutely agree with you that, you know, interior transformation is, is really foundational to any attempt to be a, you know, a a change agent in the world trying to affect good and and bring around change in systems. I think, you know, a lot of the leadership programs I've developed over the years um, as part of Meta Integral have really been aimed at supporting leaders to do deep interior transformative work as a way of creating a foundation for the kind of impact that they want to have in the world with the projects they're involved in. I think for me there wasn't necessarily like a a specific moment, I think it was just this accumulative effect of being engaged in my own transformative process across multiple aspects of who I am. And that just, you know, over time, the sum total of that effort, you know, just kept, you know, exposing me to new thinking, um, helping me see my blind spots, um, exposing me to new mental models, um, learning how to have deeper um, you know, dialogical encounters with people with mutuality and transparency and vulnerability. You know, so I just think over time, all of this just accumulated in me really seeing the importance of placing interior transformation at the foundation of any effort that I had of trying to bring about positive change in the world.
0: Right. So we'll we'll get... Um... Later, back to uh, your daily practice. For now, I'd like to know because you are an, an you an entrepreneur and have started various enterprises. Um, what what is Meta Integral? Your latest endeavor?
1: Yeah. So Meta Integral, as you mentioned in the opening remarks, you know, is kind of this collection of organizations. I founded in 2011. You know, it originally was three companies: a nonprofit 501c3 foundation, a, and then two S corps: a, you know, training academy, med integral academy, and then med integral associates, a group of um, executive consultants that work with organizations and businesses. And so, these three organizations have always focused on bringing integral principles into the world um, you know the consulting work obviously we're working with companies and applying you know these integral maps and models to strategy and um, you know and then the academy focuses on leadership development the foundation focuses on you know grant giving all of them are informed by integral maps methods um, and techniques in the last five years the focus for the whole kind of s- ecosystem has really been around the meta-impact framework, an integral model that I've developed that uses multiple capitals, um, 10 to be exact. And and so this model has four types of impact, um, 10 types of capital, and all 10 of those capitals are measured through what I call integral data, first, second, and third person data. And... The the results of impact across those ten capitals um, feed into four different bottom lines: um, people, planet, profit, and purpose. Obviously, a lot of this is very you know resonant with your own work with um, I think you call it the Theta model. You know, so you know this is where you and I have a lot of similarities and are, are both pioneering kind of integral approaches to. Uh, you know, impact of you know um, measurement, and for you, you focus on investing. You know so so meta integral is really about developing this model and helping people to measure impact in their projects and organizations using this framework um so they can create more feedback loops um that help transform behavior, transform the systems they're part of transform the hearts and minds, um, and also transform the relationships and culture. So we use the measurement of impact across those 10 capitals to support the visibility of change in those four major domains. Um, And we find that that's a pretty good approach.
0: I couldn't agree more, and um, that's why we'd like for us to uh, go deeper into this metrics, and I quote, Uh, um, uh, a quote from you if you want to change reality one powerful way is to change what you measure how do you measure it and why you measure it by measuring and making visible more reality we can enter into a deeper dialogue with reality and thus cultivate greater forms of intimacy with it to successfully navigate the complexity of the 21st century, we need non-reductive, reductive, sorry, and integrative ways of measuring impact and value exchange between individuals and systems. Unquote. Can you please take us uh, a little deeper and more concrete, particularly from the from perspective of uh, early stage investing? Um, because this is what our uh, most of our audience uh, um, comes from, investors and entrepreneurs alike. Can you take us step by step through the how do you really apply? You know the four impact, four types of impact, ten types of capital data, and, and four bottom lines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, reality is bigger than most of our maps and approaches. You know, acknowledge um, so you know we really work at trying to include more of reality and and we feel that you know the integral approach as as you've discovered as well is a really good map and methodology for including more of reality and so you know for early stage investing and and startups you know i think there's an advantage to including more of reality in what you're doing because it allows you to be more agile Um, to be more responsive to, you know, changing conditions. You know, we live in a a VUCA world um, that's complex and dynamic and, you know, in many ways elusive. And so a survival strategy can be thought of as basically just, you know, having an integral map that allows you to include more of reality so that you're aware of more layers and dimensions of what's happening or could happen. So you know, we use the Impact framework, you know, the four types of impact, the 10 capitals, to just get a more granular view of of what is and isn't happening. Um, And so just to give one example that I like to give when I'm introducing the Impact framework, you know, one of the companies we are working with is a forklift company that develops a digital platform on a tablet that um, drivers use to um, check Um, you know, the status of the the forklift, they're going to be driving do a safety check and, um, you know, manage the maintenance of the equipment and, you know, these kinds of things. And when we started working with the organization, they really sold their products and services based on what we identified as four types of capital. So they highlighted health capital or or the safety value of using their um, tablets and software, Um, the knowledge capital of having real-time data um, and ways of communicating with drivers digitally, Um, the manufactured capital in terms of being able to manage um, the fleet of forklifts within warehouses um, and the equipment associated with it, and then financial capital in terms of helping to save costs um, and so they really, you know, promoted the value of what they were doing through highlighting those four types of capital. But when we started looking at their customer base and the things the customers said around why they liked the products and services associated with this organization, we found that we looked at survey data and, and, and I started going through the specific comments that customers made and placing the comments in the different capitals, the 10 capitals. And and some comments could go in more than one capital, but I just did this to try and get a sense of what is the value that customers are seeing in this product and in this service? Like, why are they buying it? Why are they engaged? And what I found is the customers basically made statements across all 10 types of capital. So in other words, the value the company was providing was across all ten types of capital, including psychological capital, social capital, you know, natural capital, you know, um, knowledge, or rather, um, spiritual capital, even. And so, the the company was trying to sell their product based on four types of capital, but they were actually delivering value across all ten. And if you looked at all the other forklift companies that were doing similar um, products and services, they too were trying to sell their products on on um, those f- four types of capital. So it didn't give them any market differentiation to highlight you know, knowledge, financial, health, and manufactured capital. But when they started realizing that they were giving value across lots of other areas, and then could start to tailor their value proposition and, you know, and present to their customers the other kinds of value that came along with using their products and services in addition to kind of the traditional four, then it gave them more market differentiation and it also allowed them to be more attuned to their customers and start to see the type of feedback and value that the customer was getting from what they were doing. And you can apply the same thinking to, you know, early stage investing and due diligence, right? You know, you take an early organization and you want to see, you know, and they got a good product, they got a good team, you want to help scale what they're doing. And, you know, you do this with your own integral model is like you want to get a better sense of like, what are the types of capital this organization has that it's using to be as successful as it has been? And then what are the other additional types of capital and resources that you need to provide as an investor to help them scale and to help them, you know, expand into to new markets or, or whatever it might be. And so by having the frame of the 10 capitals, you can more accurately determine, like, oh, okay, they need more financial capital, that's often a given, but they also need more social capital, or they need more knowledge capital, or they need more spiritual capital, they need more psychological capital, right? And this is what I love about your work is you really include the psychometric assessments of, you know, individuals on the, you know, teams of these companies and organizations. And we find that's really important, you know, to be able to assess the emotional intelligence, interpersonal capacity the clarity of purpose of leaders, right? So so our systems designed to do that as well and to better understand, you know, what are the you know resources and, and forms of of strength and capacity that an organization has, and then how do you invest in it? And not just invest in it financially, but invest across the 10 capitals. Um, so let me pause there and see, you know, what your sense of all of that is and if you have any questions.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The questions I have are related to the exact measurement. Yeah. For so, ence- yeah. Uh, how, how do you do that? And how do you do that over time in, in a particular, in our particular case, you invest and of course you want to exit at some point in time and over the invest time you need to make sure that people grow and don't decline so all these measurement criteria you know psychologically spiritually all the factors that you measured how do you really bring about that measurement
1: yeah so we we start by doing an assessment of what measurements are they using what are the kpis they're using um And we use KPIs in kind of a fun and different way, right? KPIs is typically defined as, you know, key performance indicators. But for us, performance is primarily associated with clear impact, um, uh, which is about the transformations of bodies and behaviors. So when we're dealing with systems, we talk about key process indicators. And when we're talking about teams um, and cultures, we talk about, you know, key participatory indicators, you know, how well are you engaging people and including their voice and aligning communications. And when we're talking about the individuals themselves, we talk about key presence indicators, like how present are they, what's their capacity for self-reflection and so forth. So, we, we do an analysis of, you know, what are the current metrics and KPIs that the organization's using, you know, across these four types of impact. Um, And, you know, and and thereby, you know, what types of capital are they tracking and measuring and including both informally and formally? Because one big thing we come across is that organizations are almost always trafficking in all 10 capitals, even if they are only including three or four in kind of their, you know, annual report or in their, you know, kind of, you know, process of, of measurement right? All companies are tracking their financial capital. They're usually also tracking their human capital and their manufactured capital. Some are tracking their natural capital and some are tracking their social capital. Um, but informally, they're almost always also tracking you know, cultural capital, psychological capital, um, health capital, and so forth. So we identify which metrics are they using and which ones are they doing formally. And we make a, a meta impact profile, which basically like kind of a radiograph of the ten capitals, and and you know which ones are formally being tracked, and which ones are informally being tracked, and then which ones are not being included at all. And then we make suggestions as to you know what additional metrics might they use to expand, um, to you know either um, areas that they're not including currently, or if there's informal Inclusion, how might we change that to formal inclusion? So, for instance, you know, a lot of companies will provide coaching as part of leadership development, but they're not really including that as part of their official way of tracking the psychological capital um, or knowledge capital um, within the system. And so they're using it informally. So we help them then convert that to a formal kind of measurement where they... They more explicitly include that coaching work as part of what they're tracking. And so that might involve um, creating a more formalized, you know, kind of leadership development plan that then feeds data into, you know, a dashboard of what a leader, you know, goals and aims are and how they're trying to transform their own behaviors and mindsets and relationships. Um, It might include bringing in some psychometric assessments personality assessments or vertical development assessments, um, you know, and doing some pre and post, um, evaluation over a six month or 12 month period. Right. And so you take an informal metric like coaching, and then you start creating more formal documentation. You know, maybe that individual starts creating, having a journal or providing certain types of self report around key transformative moments in their coaching process. Um, You can have the the coach submit, um, you know, fill out a form and submit information about the key transformations they've observed. So that would be more second-person data, you know, or as I mentioned, you know, you can have the psychometric data, which would be the more third-person data. So we really start with where the company's at and then look at what their resources and knowledge base is around different types of metrics and then start to include more metrics, um, you know, based on that analysis.
0: Brilliant. Uh, so, out of curiosity, what type of organizations are we ta- Are you talking about? Are these later stages, uh, big organizations, early stages, startups? So, from your expertise, who, what organizations are more open to adopt such measurement criteria and such work that you're offering?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we've met at integral you know, has primarily been a consulting company and, and as, you know, and working with, you know, generally more progressive organizations, you know, a lot of companies that in one way or another are wanting to be more integral. So in that sense, we've been really fortunate to work with some really interesting creative kinds of organizations and companies. A lot of them have been more well-established. We've also done a lot of work with some of the bigger um, names such as Google, IBM, Microsoft, and so forth. We haven't done this um, meta impact work with them. We've worked with them, you know, in terms of just more kind of integral, you know, strategy and, and you know, and other aspects of what we offer. The, you know, currently we're working with several organizations, um, several of which are in the regenerative agriculture space um, and and several of which are, you know, kind of, you know, more early stage organizations, kind of more startup, and that are looking for innovative ways to get an edge on what they're doing and with um, market differentiation. We're also now in conversations with a potential partner that does early stage impact investing, and they're wanting to help us take the mid-impact framework and create a digital platform So that the companies that they're working with can basically get a meta impact profile early on and it can help the investors determine how to support those seed stage organizations to scale. So, you know, we work with nonprofits. We work with, you know, organizations in the sustainability world. Um, We're also partnered with a, a kind of an impact firm in Montreal, Canada that does a lot of work with um, culture at at the municipal level, with the city, with, you know, Montreal City itself, um, and, you know, evaluating impact um, of, you know, young organizations and companies kind of within the cultural fabric of Montreal City. Um, You know, we're also working in healthcare. We've done some interesting work in South Australia with a big 70-person, 70 70,000-person 70, healthcare system, uh, government organization. And, you know, we're also working with United Communities, also in Australia, another healthcare organization focused on aged care. You know, so it's, it's quite a range of organizations that we're working with. It's basically, you know, any organization that is up against the challenge of defining impact and they're wanting a more comprehensive map of, of impact. As you know, that you know people use the phrase impact to describe all kinds of things. You know, impact investing in many ways doesn't even really know what it's talking about yep. when it comes to impact. Um, so there's a lot of confusion out there. Yep. And a lot of, you know, almost all the companies we work with are mission-driven or purpose-driven. Um, And they're trying to, in our words, close the mission metric gap, right? So they're an organization that has a very clear mission. They are trying to include metrics to help them stay on track to that mission, but they're really confused about what metrics to include and how to include them to help them achieve their mission and their purpose. And so they usually come across us and they're relieved at the comprehensive nature of our map and model, and it's helping them to actually use the the metrics that are really going to give them the actual data about their mission. Um so so that those are some of the kind of commonalities across the organizations that we're working with.
0: Brilliant. So, let me go back to two things. One is how do you integrate current measurements of impact in in your metrics? Do you use any Quasi-standards, or st- there aren't any standards, so I'm talking about quasi-standards. So you use IRIS from GEN, do you use GEARS, do you news, use GRE in terms of the, the, how should I say, the traditional impact measurement criteria? Yeah. And the second question is, uh, what are the tools that you're using for the interior dimension, the psychometrics um, data?
1: Yeah. So you know, the meta impact framework is a meta model. And so it's able to use any and all metrics. I haven't come across any um, standard system of metrics that can't be included in what we're doing. Um, and, and so depending on what the client's using, you know, it's very easy for us to work with those standard systems of metrics, you know, the SDGs, for instance, um, you know, and, and the others that you mentioned, um the digital platforms that we're developing are going to be designed to easily interface and include all those kind of you know traditional m- metric standards. Um, our work to date has been more kind of homegrown in terms of working with um, the metrics that the organization's currently working with, and then helping them to situate that within a larger framework and then help them see how it relates to some of those more traditional, Approaches if they're wanting to include that. And some of them already do. Um, and, you know, for instance, I've done some analysis around the SDGs and looking at of the 10 capitals, what are the top three capitals that are really needed to measure progress in each of the 17 SDGs? And what I find is that, yes, different SDGs draw on different types of capital, you know, out of the 10. But you really, overall, from a meta perspective, you need all 10 capitals to really measure um, the 17 SDGs. Um, and in addition to that, most of the efforts at measuring the SDGs are what we would consider third-person metrics um, that are you know, basically a you know, kind of statistical-driven, numerical-driven um, types of measurement, but the real heart of the SDGs really relies on is and is dependent on what we would call first and second person metrics. Um, you know, so second person metrics being the more participatory types of metrics and practices um, around governance and engagement. Um, a lot of design thinking approaches use participatory um, metrics. Um, and this is really kind of dealing with structures and social dynamics. And then first person metrics are the, the stories that people tell. Um, and the self-report that they give about how they've been touched or why they're engaged or disengaged, um, you know, and, and many new happiness indicators and well-being indicators have emerged over the last decade um, that provide us ways of including, you know, this element, you know, more formally. Um, and so a lot of our work is it's less about interfacing with traditional metric standards because we find most of them really only include third person metrics and we find the most transformative power and potential lies in including the first and second person metrics um and so we do a lot of work with companies and organizations to um include those metrics including you know the first person psychological development um you know we use um assessments like you do you know lectica um the sense completion tests strength finders um you know the the, you know, team evaluations. Um, and, you know, so there's so many metrics out there that it's, you know, it's, it's overwhelming <laughs> the number of metrics, um, you know, and in the, you know, the interior domains, um, you know, we do interviews, we do different types of focus groups, you know, um, can different types of, you know, taking photographs, um, of team events, um, and, and, and getting quotes from people about, Um, most significant moments, and and basically our strategy is making first, second, and third person realities visible. So we don't really focus on objective data. Um, We focus on integral data um, because we feel the subjective data is as valuable as the objective data. And we generally have this mindset that objective data is true and subjective data is not true. Um, or much less true. And we just don't find that to be the case when it comes to measuring impact and closing the metric mission gap. And so this is why we use the frame of first, second, and third person data, is it helps get us out of the binary of objective and subjective. Um, And we find that objectivity is less important than visibility. If you're able to make interior realities visible, then people can act on it. It creates a feedback loop. If you create second person realities and dynamics, team dynamics, make them visible, then people can take that as a feedback loop and they can transform and adjust how they're interfacing. So we really focus on making interior realities visible and psychometric assessments is one way of doing that. Um, Self-report is another way of doing that. Um, Having people um, draw pictures and and then share what they've drawn is another way of doing it um, and and we find that we use that in organizations a lot and it's actually very powerful um, and people get a lot out of it so you know we use a lot of different metrics but we also our core strategy is, is visibility um, because statistics is just one strategy of making a reality visible and we try and complement those numbers. With you know stories and um, with making social structures and social dynamics visible.
0: Brilliant! Thank you so much. You're just confirming what uh, <laughs> what I've been trying to communicate all yeah. along for the past ten years. Thank you. I really, really appreciate yeah. that. Yep. Thank and you. And when I know
1: that you know, given the work you do, that you know you're someone who's in the trenches working with these ideas on a regular basis, and that you know that you really understand at a deep level, kind of what I'm sharing here. And and I'm really excited that, you know, you've been working with, you know, a a larger community of people trying to introduce them to these ideas. Um, So it's it's great to, to be comparing notes here today, Mariana.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think that's extremely important, as you said, to be out in the trenches just like you are and not theorize about stuff, but really take money and put it down there and make it work. And not waste it, but really create the abundance so that people see that that works and they see that it's not just the theory, it is something that can be transformed. And the more we unleash our interior dimensions and make them visible, as you say, and combine them with traditional exterior measurement criteria, then I believe that we have a greater chance to saving ourselves. And one of the things that I would like to bring to your attention in case you haven't heard is um, the integration between Sustainable Development Goals and uh, the planetary boundaries, Right. because one of the most important aspects that have not been looked at, everyone is, you know, we have agreed on the Paris Agreement and we have agreed on the Agenda 2030, the UN SDGs, but then if yeah. you look at how the UN SDGs have been applied formally or informally over the past uh, few decades, you see that they're so contradicting each other. And so if you take, for instance, number one, get out of poverty and try to really do that, as the Chinese have done, lift every year 30 million people out of poverty at the expense of the planet, then uh, you're basically sabotaging uh, number 13 which is climate uh, safety and so there is a new research that uh, I'd like to bring your attention to that is called Transformation is Feasible that has analyzed it comes also from the uh, Stockholm Resilience Center it's been initiated by one of the former authors of Limits to Growth Jorgen Randers and uh, Johan Rockström they have performed analysis is based on uh, the past fifty years of data, and they looked at the f- uh, what is going to happen if we continue with the implementation of the UN SDGs without looking at the planetary boundaries, which are nine of them that have been defined uh, by scientists. You know that includes freshwater um, uh, supplies and ocean acidification and climate change and so on. And yeah. so they realized that over the past, since 1980, we have basically left the safety, the safety of the planetary boundaries and are implementing the UN SDGs at the expense of the health of our planet. And uh, so they have uh, simulated, you know, what's gonna happen if we continue in the same way up until 2030, 2050, if we try harder in the same business usual, and is there a way to go back into a beautiful blue planet, into the safe operating system of the planetary boundaries? And uh, that scenario in, um, entails five major action items, not the 17 UN SDGs, but right. they actually provided a roadmap for you know creating a safe uh, operating environment as well. So I would highly encourage you to take a look at it, it's a very small paper and um, everywhere you go, you may want to bring that into the attention of people. Because once they see that there is something we can do and we're not lost in the 17 and everyone picks and chooses what they like, uh, and that there are five items uh, that can be done. One, number one is uh, reduce CO2 emissions through renewable energy uh, investments. Number two is uh, ensure food, For the growing population on the planet. Number three is uh, learn from the Chinese, South Koreans, Ethiopians and others that have done um, the right thing over the past decades and give that knowledge to the up-and-coming developing countries. Number four is reduce inequality. Number five is what's um, my favorite, it's health and girls education and family planning so to reduce the the carbon footprint. So and I know you're an an environmentalist I love your yeah. uh, your book and so I thought this might be uh, of interest to you because our strategy is based on the transformation is feasible.
1: Yeah, oh that's very exciting. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I mean there's a number of things that really resonate with our approach and and some of the things we're working with. You know this issue you mentioned about you know, working on SDG number one and then negatively impacting, you know, <laughs> the others, you know, this is a real issue. And and we find that, you know, the, the impact measurement space is really fragmented along these lines. And this is why we promote this notion of a wisdom economy and use the 10 capitals as a way of thinking about it, where you, you increase impact in each capital but you do so in a way that's in relationship to the other capitals. Right? So each capital serves as a check and balance to the others. So like, as you mentioned in the example, it's like by raising people out of poverty, um, you know, so, you know, increasing financial capital in a sense, but you do so at the expense of natural capital, uh, basically creating a, a major, you know, carbon footprint. Um, and so how do you increase financial capital without destroying natural capital? And so this is what we refer to as a wisdom economy, where you're you're raising all 10 capitals or as many of them as possible in relationship to each other. Um, I often like to give the example of imagine you're an investor and you're looking at two company profiles and and two possible scenarios. One is if you invest in company A, you get a, a, a 14% return on investment financially and you get, you know, like, let's just say kind of like a a 5% return on social capital. um, And that's defined and operationalized in in some way. Um, Or company B, you get a a 10% return on investment financially. You get a a 6% return on social capital um, and a a 6% return on psychological capital. Um, And that's operationalized in in a way that makes sense. Um, And so you're having to choose, like, basically, do I make less financial money by investing in company A, um, or rather in company B, make less financial money because you're going from, you know, like a 14% return to a 10%. But I'm increasing the positive impact I'm having in these other two types of capital, right? And so that's part of what we want to do is we want to give investors that choice so they start to see, oh, I might be getting slightly less return on my financial investment but I'm getting an increase in the investment return in these other capitals and and I want to choose that because while having a return on my financial dollars important I want to do it in a way that you know maybe in some cases I'm making a little less but I can see how I'm increasing the impact across these other capitals Um, and the same is true with the SDGs and some of these other kind of standard approaches these um, global standards where if we don't have an integrated view, we can end up having positive impact in one and only end up having some negative impact across some of the others. So we really need to take this meta view where we're able to kind of compare and contrast how are we raising the, the temp poles for the, for the whole system, right, opposed to um, this kind of unbalanced development. Um, and this point you're making around boundaries is really key. And you know, this is one reason why you know, the planetary boundaries why we've hooked up with reporting 3.0, which really emphasizes capacity, you know, in a kind of a sustainability context and really helping to bring in boundaries and capacity into the metrics evaluation um, of some of these standardized systems. And, and they're in conversation with um, IIRC, the integrated, International Integrated Reporting Council, um, which uses six capitals for their um, re, you know, integrated reports. And they're also chatting with the U.N., um, and the UN, you know, is is very interested in the work they're doing. And so through that, you know, we're in conversation with some interesting folks around how do we include a multi-capital approach to understanding planetary boundaries and capacity um, in a way that creates visibility across the whole system and, and not just in certain parts of it.
0: Right. Yeah, I've been um, I've been connected with the IRC all along I've been with them uh, at um, the Earth Summit, uh, Rio oh, Plus yeah. 20, yeah. in uh, t- uh, 2012. So, uh, they're doing amazing work. And um, yeah, Chris, Prince Charles is behind that. So it's amazing. And one of the people who worked for him uh, back then uh, is now co-president of the International Club of Rome. It's uh, Sandrine uh, Dixon nucle Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. So they're doing amazing work. So there is a lot of uh, good work going on. The important thing and why I mentioned the Transformation is Feasible um, paper is A, we only have 11 years left until we can still do something to save ourselves before the planet cannot be, you know, it just turns bonkers and, you know, we already see how hot it's getting and how the climate is playing crazy. And uh, the beauty about the Transformation is Feasible is uh, based on scientific data. It's based on uh, data that's uh, collection that's been performed over the past uh, 50 years. It's uh, 100,000 data points. So it's not just, uh, you know, some wishful thinking. It's really based on scientific uh, data. So those uh, financial thinkers only, you know, now have something to look at and um, that I hope will convince them.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the work no, you're doing,
0: of course, is is uh, getting people to see that, you know, if they don't hate their children, <laughs> they might what? as well do something uh, to save them.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of exciting approaches out there like transformation is feasible. You know, I think more and more people are engaged with kind of waking up and seeing you know, what else needs to be done. And as you've pointed out, you know, a a big part of it is the interior transformation. Um, You know, so alongside the scientific data, you know, we have to transform mindsets and mental models and attitudes and values, right? And then we also have to transform our communication strategies, you know, and how we um, express and um, enlist, enroll people in, in, in practices and approaches that, you know, are more aligned with, you know, where we need to go in order to thrive as, you know, a planet and as humanity. Um, And, you know, so many of these, you know, like with climate change, you know, there's so much great data out there on what's happening with the climate. um, But then if you don't include the emotional dimensions and the interpersonal dimensions, like that data just ends up being contested and ignored and, and, and people don't act on it. Right. So alongside, you know, the thousands of scientific data points, we also need a strategy of how to engage the hearts and minds and the, the worldviews and values of, of, of people, um, because scientific data alone is not going to save us. It's it, it often really comes down to um, transforming hearts and minds and, and how we interact and communicate with each other.
0: I couldn't agree more. Otherwise, I wouldn't have adopted uh, the integral model a long time ago. The only problem I see is uh, how do you break through into an industry that has been mind-driven and is driven by for-profit only and financial numbers only, (laughs) exterior thinking? And how do you break through to uh, help them open to uh, different dimensions? And uh, I believe that this kind of data might contribute to convincing them to look uh, someplace else. So that's why I am working on it. And I I rely on it, particularly because, you know, if we look at climate change, that's one thing. But now we're coming to the next question. What about uh, the exponential tech era? You're right in the heart of Silicon Valley. I personally, as you know, I'm an artificial intelligence person. I've been trained a long time ago. And uh, so what is your take on this? How is AI going to change us? How how do you think is, are we going, uh, we with our integral thinking, uh, no. going to influence um, or maybe avoid the development of uh AI systems that contain built-in biases from egocentric or ethnocentric right. mindsets.
1: Yeah, I've I've been tracking and reading and exploring and discussing the AI issue uh, for a number of years, and I think it's extremely exciting and extremely scary. Um, you know, it's 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 already changing our world. You know, machine learning also is very powerful. Um, and you know it's it's going to be used for you know destructive um ways you know undoubtedly it already is you know just you know looking at how machine learning was used in the US election to manipulate um you know people's attitudes and engagement you know through the Facebook ads and all of that you know and targeting people and um you know, and, and then when you just amplify that into AI systems, you know, it's just it very quickly um, gets scary and overwhelming. So I think there's a lot of good reasons to be very cautious. And I think we have to really be discussing the ethical dimensions of this. And part of the challenge um, is that our general culture, mainstream culture, doesn't really recognize interiors. Um, and so I think that's one of the the ways in which a i ends up going unchecked is because we don't really understand psychology, spirituality or relationships um and and so I don't think we really get the kind of impact that different types of a i scenarios have um or we don't understand consciousness very well, and so we don't really. Understand what AI sentience is really about, or, or how it's similar or different from human sentience. Um, so I think we're we're likely in for a really rude wake up call around you know some of the implications and impacts of of AI technologies. I think part of the issue is having people like you and I working with you know AI and kind of for good. You know, like how do we use AI for good? And, and have it contribute to um, a better world. Um, you know, so I don't know that I've, I don't, there's, there's a lot of issues involved with this. And so I just think it's an important topic and I'm glad you raised it because I think we need to be talking about it. People need to get more educated around these realities and how they interface with, you know, whatever it is they're involved in, you know, whether it's impact investing or, you know, an environmental action or, you know, working... Um, overseas and, and different you know, kind of community building initiatives. Um, I think AI is relevant to all of us and, and we need to get more versed in, in the pros and cons of it.
0: Yes. Well, as you know, I'm a technology investor and as an AI yeah. person. It's not just about um, using the integral model to de-risk investments. The, it sounds so financially <laughs> driven. Uh, it's not, it's about uh, you know the integral impact. And um, as we invest in technology and as we invest in technology, because we believe that technology has the opportunity to really help us address the grand global challenges that we have, yeah. I think that we need to be very, get involved and be very careful uh, what AI is doing and have our hands full and be very close to it. Yeah. And so that's why every time I get an opportunity, I am calling people to really sign off the Asilomar principles.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so go to the SLMR uh, Principles on Artificial Intelligence by the Future of Life Institute. I am uh, an active member. I have participated at the Augmented Intelligence Summit in in Silicon Valley this uh, April. And so I think that's the only way how we can really ensure that, uh, you know, it doesn't get out of control and uh, yeah, as you great. know, Elon Musk has given uh, about 10 million or even more. I'm not up to date on the latest numbers to uh, do the research, to, do the, um, to keep an eye on what AI yeah. is doing, because he deems it's just as dangerous as you just said.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I find Elon Musk to be a really important voice out there on this topic. So I'm glad you mentioned him and, and mentioned the Solomar Principles.
0: So, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much. We're uh, coming close to the end of this uh, wonderful uh, talk. We need to do this more often. (laughs) It's been years since you and I talked.
1: Yeah, it has. It's good to connect.
0: Yeah, so in in coming to closing, what are three things? What are the, the three most specific and treasured pieces of advice that you would like to give to our audience?
1: Yeah, and I imagine that they've probably heard this coming from you many times. But you know, the three things I would offer are, you know, it's easier to include more of reality in in what we do than we often realize. Um, and you know, and I think different frameworks, like the one you use and the one I've talked about today, are, are one way of doing that. But there's others. Um, so to always kind of stretch and include um, more of reality, um, whether it's psychological aspects or um, environmental aspects or social aspects, just always to be stretching to include more of reality than what our current approach is including. The second one is that you know we need to tend to both the exteriors and interiors at the same time. Um, we can't just focus on the exteriors um, and the, the third-person realities. We need to include the first and second-person dimensions of people and, and and teams and organizations and and society at large, right? That um, that, and then the last one was kind of related to that so our, you know, our personal transformation is foundational to the systemic transformation we want to catalyze. Um, you know, a lot of people who want to make change in the world, get hyper-focused on basically kind of what they're doing and kind of the actions and, you know, kind of the objective, um, moving the needle. But we really, as we've talked about today, we really need to simultaneously or even more importantly, be focusing on our own personal transformation. Um, our own emotional capacity to take different perspectives, our ability to hold more complexity um, cognitively, our ability to self-reflect on our own biases, and um, you know all these important things that are, are part of being a mature, integrated human being. Um, so those would be the three things that you know really stand out for me, and I think those are very consonant with the work you're pioneering. Um, so thank you, Mariana, for for having me on the show today. So great to connect, and um, and I look forward to being able to chat more um, before too much time passes. Um, uh, people can go to Meta Integral. Um, M-E-T-A-I-N-T-E-G-R-A-L, Meta-Integral. And I think the best way to remember me is I'm a guy who loves to meta-integrate. I love big pictures and I love weaving data and information from dozens and dozens of disciplines into a coherent view. And so all the projects I do in one way or another kind of express this meta-integration impulse. um, the Meta Impact Framework is just one of several projects I'm involved in that are doing that. So you can think of me as the Meta Integral guy.
0: Thank you so much, you wonderful Meta Integral guy. <laughs> Have a <laughs> wonderful day. Thank you. Bye bye.
1: Thank you, Mariana. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Follow Sean on Twitter and visit his website at metaintegral.com.
0: Links are in the show notes. For more on Dr. Bosazon and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.